Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to this week's edition of The Cheapest Meal, presented by Deep Fried Draft. My name is Brian Bosard, Episode 6 of the Revitalized Cheapest Meal, and we got a good one today. Let's bring in our guest now. He is the NFL and Draft Analyst for FanRag Sports. He is the co-host of the Draft Dudes Podcast, and he is the number two to Kyle Krabs, Miss Dr. Evil at NDT Scouting. He is my good buddy, Joe Marino. Joe, how's it going today? What's going on, Brian? Uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, good to catch up with you here and talk a little football. Always good to talk football. Uh, let's get let's get right into it. I watched the FanRag Sports uh, draft coverage of round one, and I could literally see you as the next stage of the Ben Affleck, hello, darkness, my old friend meme when Buffalo took Josh Allen. Talk to me about that moment, and what do you think the future holds for Buffalo? Well, I think it's pretty well understood and documented that Josh Allen wouldn't have been my choice of quarterbacks there, especially trading up uh, and giving up uh, 53 and 56 to move up a few spots to be able to get him. And, um, you know, I, I certainly was hoping for Josh Rosen, uh, but Josh Allen's the guy. And, you know, it's it's um, it's something that it's, uh, it's the move Brandon Bean and, and Sean McDermott was the right one to make. I mean, this is the guy that they've identified. Uh, that they want to be the one they hitch their wagons to. And maybe that's bold or not, but, you know, they subscribe to the physical traits. And that's never been the question with Josh Allen. He has physical gifts as good as any quarterback we've ever seen enter the NFL in terms of size, athleticism, arm strength. I mean, he, he's got all that stuff at a high level. It's between the years and, and making sure that he can consistently read defenses and then that his footwork is going to be proper so that his accuracy doesn't dip. And, you know, he's he's interesting because – when you watch him, we watch him at the senior bowl and practices and stuff, he looks really good. But it's it's those game situations where there's a lot of a lot of different information he has to process and, and you know, that's where the struggles have been for the last couple of seasons at Wyoming. And so now you're asking this guy to step into the NFL, uh, play against the best, you know, defenses and defensive coordinators in the world and develop significantly mentally. And so you know, I think he's got a pretty big learning curve ahead of him. You know, all the OTAs and reports out of there have been very favorable, but they seem to be for everybody, right? It's, it's uh, you know, there's no pads on. There's no, you know, there's, it's it's walking through. It's shorts and T-shirts, you know. So uh, that's when Josh Allen really does thrive. But, um, you know, until I see him consistently play well in games, I'm going to still have questions about the pick. Well, one guy who has not been uh, had favorable reports coming out of the OTAs is your projected starting quarterback, and uh, a guy I wish you would have gave a little more money to, so the Bengals could have got a better comp pick. Uh, AJ McCarron. Uh, what, what are you hearing about McCarron there in Buffalo? Well, you know, it's it really. I think they want him to probably be the starter, but by all indications, Nate Peterman's been the best quarterback in camp, and I know people might giggle when they hear that because he, you know, he had that five interception first half performance in that Chargers game where he was given the opportunity to start by choice by Sean McDermott over Tyrod Taylor right when Buffalo was in the middle of that playoff uh, hunt and uh, he played poorly but you know, everything else that that 
that Peterman's done has is, is been pretty good. I mean, he was in the preseason. He had a few drives in other games where he played pretty well. And he's a guy that I was pretty high on coming out of Pittsburgh. I thought he had baseline starter traits, a guy that can come in and keep an offense on schedule, processes quickly. It doesn't have big arm or anything like that, but he can make the throws that he needed to make to make them on schedule and keep everything moving. And so um, I think he's got the type of character and personality that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean really gravitate towards. And I think he's got a realistic opportunity to win this job, at least initially. Now you asked me about AJ McCarron and, and, you know, it, it seems like, it seems like the, 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 the thoughts behind him aren't necessarily glowing, but they aren't overly negative. And, you know, I know that uh, he limited game action there with Cincinnati and, and actually did some okay things when he got that five game stretch, I think as a starter, but, you know, I, I think what the NFL think, thinks of McCarron was pretty well defined in that free agency period where he was, you know, everybody had snatched up their bridge quarterbacks. They're all going Sam Bradford, you know, Josh McGowan, Teddy Bridgewater, all these guys are going, uh, you know, they tr- the Browns traded for Tyrod Taylor. All these guys are getting secured. And then the last one to, to sign and the last team to get their bridge quarterback in place was Buffalo and A.J. McCarron. I think he signed a pretty modest deal, you know, for a guy that it seemed like had some, some demand at the trade deadline and really thought he should be a starter. So we'll see what happens with McCarron. I think he's got a real shot to win the job initially. But right now, Peterman seems to be the guy that's been the best quarterback in OTAs. One more question about the Bills roster, and we'll move on. Uh, Zay Jones, a uh, guy I really loved uh, coming out of East Carolina last year. Uh, loved him at the Senior Bowl, second round pick. Had a well, let's just say not a great rookie season, and then had the wild, uh, the wild story about him in the off season. Uh, what, what, what are your expectations for Zay Jones in year two? You know, and on top of what you just said, he's uh, he missed all of the spring with uh, with a knee surgery. So, I mean, it's it's just he doesn't have a lot of great momentum, which is so weird because, like you mentioned, he, he was really good in that East Carolina. I mean, the all-time leader leading uh, in reception, leader in receptions for, you know, uh, FBS and, and really found a lot of production. He had a great senior bowl. Um, you know, he seemed to fit that Buffalo Bills mentality of, you know, established college players with good careers with, you know, what seems to be great character and just kind of the guys they want to bring into the locker room and then, that incident was just totally bizarre and something you didn't expect from a guy with, you know, the, the type of character reviews that he had. And, you know, Zay, Zay struggled big time. I mean, if you look at his targets to, to catch percentage, I mean, it was, it's just historically bad. Um, But Buffalo took him in the top 40, right? I mean, they traded up to get him. And so, you know, there's an expectation that he's going to be that number two receiver in Buffalo and, and be, you know, one of the primary features of, of the passing game, but, uh, you know, there's not a lot of great momentum and, you know, he's going to have to scratch and claw to get, to get that number two job back because not that Buffalo has a lot of talent at wide receiver, but he's behind, you know, and, and this is a new offense now under Brian Dable and, and, uh, you know, Calvin Benjamin's the guy that's the number one, but I mean, it seems like every other receiver in camp right down to guys like Brandon Riley and, and the undrafted uh, wide receiver from, from Alabama, Robert Foster, those guys are getting number two receiver reps opposite of Calvin Benjamin while Zane Jones is rehabbing and coming off the, the horrendous rookie season and, and the disappointing off-field incident. So Jones is behind. But to me, if you're a top 40 pick and a team trades up for you to, at receiver, you know, the expectation is that you're going to be a primary p- part of the passing game. And you know Jones hasn't given any indication that he's going to take over in that role. Right. 
So let's uh, let's put a bow on the 2018 draft. Uh, what team do you think is significantly better going into the season because of the draft haul they made? And which team do you think uh, is going to take a step back because of their draft haul? There's a lot of drafts that I really liked. Um, I saw Tampa Bay did a really good job of addressing their needs. Uh, they traded back uh, with Buffalo, got a couple of extra second-round picks, and that really – set them up to address a lot of different needs. They get Vita Vea, and they traded back to get him, which I really like. They needed, you know, they needed to improve that defense. This defense is horrendous, and they have a top-10 offense. And, you know, Dirk Cutter and uh, Ryan Lick, their, their real challenge was getting this defense right this offseason. So Vita Vea, a guy that I think can really plug holes up front and has some athleticism. He needs to develop tactically, but I think he was a nice addition to kind of tie a bow on what they did up front in, in free agency. And then they go out and they get the secondary help that they need in the second round. They got Carlton Davis. Uh, they got MJ Stewart. Uh, I like the pick of Alex Kappa to give them some interesting young offensive line talent. Ronald Jones. I mean, right now they were counting on Jaquise Rogers and, and the, the dude from Auburn a couple of years ago, Peyton Barber, to be their starting running backs. And, and so I just think for a team that went out and got value and addressed their needs, I really like what Tampa Bay did. And they also got Jordan Whitehead, another versatile safety, another defensive back that I think that they needed. They needed some playmakers on the back end. So I really like what they were able to do. I don't think it's talked about enough. I certainly love what teams like the Dolphins did, and I like what uh, Jacksonville did and, you know, those types of things. Uh, Green Bay, I love their draft. From the other side of things you had mentioned, you know, a team that I thought kind of missed the mark, um, I keep going back to the Saints, man, and and, uh, I've been been all kinds of ridiculed by, 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 uh, was it, it's Who Day Nation or, yeah, (laughs) No, who that nation? I always get it mixed up. Who that nation? Those guys have been coming after me. Yeah, they're going, those guys are coming after me because I've been really critical of their draft. Now, number one, I think they did a good job of of identifying a need and an important need, getting that pass rusher opposite of uh, Cam Jordan. But you know, Marcus Davenport's a guy that I don't know is going to give them any help right away. He's he's got some gifts, but he's raw. And uh, they gave up their number one pick next year to get him. And, uh, you know, I don't know if there's any immediate returns available with Davenport. And to sacrifice and mortgage away another prime asset to get him, you know, is very questionable with this, uh, what's probably a diminishing Super Bowl window with Drew Brees. So, uh, and then the rest of their picks, I just felt like they're, they were guys that are going to have a hard time making the roster. I mean, I thought their, their best pick was uh, that receiver from Central Florida. His name is escaping me right now. Um, Traquan Smith. Traquan Smith. Traquan Smith. Um, you know, to give them another boundary guy um, to work opposite of Michael Thomas. But, you know, even I don't think he has a ton of upside. So I just think that the Saints with the Super Bowl window that they have with an opportunity to get some, you know, guys that I thought had a chance to make more of an immediate impact and not trade away their 2019 first round pick. That's a team that I thought kind of missed the mark and a real good opportunity to, to really cement themselves as a true contender in the NFC. See, I was I've been highly critical of the Saints draft as well. I thought it was one of the, you know, worst drafts. Uh, I, I don't have the following that you have on Twitter and such, so I don't get the uh, I don't get the hate as much as you do. But uh, but no, I I don't see a with a team like you said. You have one two years of Drew Brees left. I just did not see a single player in this draft that I think impacts their roster this year at all. Uh, you know what? And it was, dude. It was six days. It was six days of Saints fans 
coming after me saying, how could you question the scouting department that drafted the offensive and defensive rookie of the year last year? They were on me, man. I was, I was, uh, I don't usually get impacted. You know, like I I take a lot of crap on Twitter. It's just just the nature of Twitter, but man, that was like a relentless week long stretch of just pissed off Saints fans. (laughs) All right. Well, Joe, let's move on. Uh, How much work have you done so far on the 2019 class? I have done a ridiculous amount of administrative work Uh, right now, working together, getting the watch list together um, and pulling bios and getting, you know, height, weights, date of birth, Jersey numbers, background information, injury history, all that kind of stuff. And then what I've started to do, I did, I've been working on that since early May up until about two weeks ago. And then I've kind of flipped the script to getting some, some film work done. And I'm really kind of focusing on the ACC right now and, getting a baseline understanding for these players as they enter the season. That way we can understand their growth. Right. And I think that's such an important uh, component of this process is, you know, not necessarily just the value of what they do in that final season before they become, you know, NFL football players, but how did they evolve and grow? And, and did they take a step back or did, did they not, you know, uncover that, that final element that they needed? Did they not get stronger? Was their technique not improved? So I, I think it's so important. And so does Kyle and, and the guys that we work with is getting that baseline understanding. So I've been doing that a lot, focusing on the ACC. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a good, good process so far, but I'm not super deep into it, obviously, yet. Right. Um, front four on the defense seems to be uh, the loaded position next year. I've got right now, I think, nine or ten players uh, with potential to go in the first round uh, just from the defensive end, defensive tackles. How excited are you to dive into those guys? I know you've done a little work on the Clemson one so far, but uh, the rest of them, how, how excited are you? Very, you know, and it's, it's something that you get nervous for these offensive linemen because it seems like defensive line is, is uh, really kind of kind of taken off here and we kind of see a lot of uh, raw offensive linemen coming in, a lot of young quarterbacks. So, you know, protecting these guys is going to be really important. But there's some freaks out there, man. I've, I've peeped a lot of them, you know, Bosa and uh, the two kids from Mississippi State, obviously the Clemson guys, Ed Oliver's top of the first round guy. I mean, there are some, some dudes that can get after it. And we, we've seen how important this is in the NFL. I mean, look at the Eagles. Eagles pretty much got to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl because of the plays made by their defensive line. You've seen, um, you've seen teams just really prioritize this and stockpile and kind of follow suit there, what Jacksonville's doing. You know, another team that's a contender, whether you like Blake Bortles or not, that was a team that went to the AFC Championship last year and just has freaks all over their their roster, but especially at the defensive line. So you're seeing this, uh, you know, look at Minnesota now with Sheldon Richardson to go with Linval Joseph and Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin. So, you know, getting, getting a, a deep talented crop of, of dudes that, that can get after the quarterback and, and penetrate is something that we're seeing prioritized across the NFL. It's a critical component of fielding a good team. And now you've got this pre this, this marriage of, of need and, and premium talent, and we're going to see a ton of these guys go in the top 32. Let's talk about everybody's favorite position, the quarterback position. Uh, we've talked about it already a little bit. Uh, give me give me your top three uh, right now, 2019 quarterbacks that are going to replace Josh Allen on the Bills depth chart next year. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they you, Josh Allen's going to stick around for a little while. They're going to give him every chance, right? But um, you know, I, I need to do a lot more work. The guy that seems to be most interesting to me is Justin Herbert from uh, Oregon. Um, has an NFL skill set, and, you know, he, he makes some good throws. And, um, 
He's a guy that I want to see more of, but he's caught my eye enough to say that he's probably in that top three. Will Greer's a lot of fun, West Virginia quarterback. I mean, there's some parallels there to Baker Mayfield, and he does some banana stuff with some of the deep balls that he throws in terms of throwing off platform from different arm slots and getting it down the field accurately. I love that, and I love that gunslinger mentality, looking for him to take you know take that final step forward and cement his status as as one of the top quarterbacks for this class. And then, you know, the next guy, I, I don't, there's a lot of guys, right? A lot of different names. I don't know if I'm overly excited about any of them. You know, Ryan Finley from NC state comes to mind. He's, he seems like he's got enough baseline traits to keep an offense on schedule. Kind of what I talked about with Nate Peterman, Drew Locke gets a lot of love. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in love. I'm not, I'm certainly not in love with him. I think, you know, he's, he's been very erratic throughout his career. I think he's got physical traits a lot like Josh Allen, but, uh, you know, I don't know that he's got that accuracy. Um, you know, so I, I think that the, the there's going to be some guys that we're going to need to emerge, right? We, we just saw five mm-hmm. quarterbacks go in the first round this past year. And, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be replicated or come close to it in 2019. But there's some guys that we're not talking about, right, that are just going to kind of become part of this conversation. We've, we've seen it happen with guys like Mitch Trubisky. And, and I expect there to be a player like that or two that really emerges that, becomes part of this conversation because right now this, to me, and I don't know how you think about this, Brian, but I'm not overly excited about the names right now. I'm not either, but one name that I'm going to see a lot because I'm going to watch all 12 of his games, and I know you'll watch a couple of his games, Jake Bentley. I want to see how he takes to this new offense in South Carolina is putting in a more up-tempo, faster pace, more RPOs, such of that nature. I want to see if that helps his – his footwork and his accuracy because, I mean, he, he sails a lot of balls and I think he's got some feet issues, but I want to see how he, the new offense, maybe if that'll help him out there. Well, Bentley's a guy, you know, we've talked about him a lot offline throughout the course of the season last year. And I like the way he sees the field. I really do. I think his mental processing is good. I mean, I, I, I think I did two or three South Carolina games last year and, and just kind of, kind of having that bird's eye view from the press box and, and seeing what he sees and, you know, diagnosing that coverage and knowing where the proper place to go with the football is. I thought he did that really sharply. And, and I like that he was willing to test man coverage. But to your point, you know, it does come down to being more accurate, getting the, that footwork right, and being able to put that ball consistently where he needs to put it. But if, if he does, you know, having that mental side it, it already, in my opinion, is exciting. So, yeah, I'm interested to see if Jake Bentley kind of emerges. I think physically he's he's very gifted. But, yeah, I mean, you know, look, if he can get that those other things right, and I think maybe this new offense could lend itself to, you know, kind of simplifying some of that stuff, it, it, it could, you know, certainly catapult him into this conversation. All right. Give me uh, one or two guys off the radar right now, maybe maybe off the radar to the common the common fan uh, that um, that we need to know about. All right, I'll give you two. And now keep in mind, I've got a limited sample size here, and I'm focusing on the ACC. But there's two guys that I think have stood out that aren't necessarily household names. You know, I'm not talking about the Clemson D-linemen or anything like that. We'll, we'll go with uh, Florida State running back, Jacquez Patrick. He's a, running, he's a senior running back, and Cam Akers is the guy there that gets all the praise, and he should, right? He's super talented, but he's not draft eligible. But Jacquez Patrick is, and I think that – He's, he's one of those boringly really good running backs. I mean, he's kind of a bigger guy, like 6'2", 230, but he sees the field so clean. He's got a lot of power, and, um, you know, he, he, he's just going to tuck it up in there, and he's going to get the yards available. He can move piles. 
and he, I think he just sees the field cleanly. And I, I think he can catch football. I think he's good in pass pro. And backs that can kind of do everything. Not, now, he doesn't have that elusive skill set to really work outside the tackles or win in space. But if you're looking to build the stable of running backs and you need a guy that can win in pass pro and, and bang it up inside and get those tough yards, be that ground, that grinder, be the thunder to someone's lightning, I think that Jacquez Patrick gives you that. Uh, he reminds me a lot of guys like um, Wayne Gallman and Jamal Anderson, uh, Jamal Williams, excuse me, from BYU, guys that kind of went in the middle rounds that, you know, have, are, are that type of role. And I know that's not overly exciting, but we have to deal with the sample size and familiarity that I'm with right now. The other guy is Mark Gilbert. He's a cornerback from Duke. Had a lot of production last year. I think 16 pass breakups, six interceptions. He's the cousin of Darrell Rivas. He's the uh, the nephew of uh, of Sean Gilbert, the former defensive tackle, number three overall pick. I had a pretty good NFL career. But uh, he's just a really smart football player. I think he he wins in a lot of different techniques. I like him in zone and man. He's he's obviously has really good ball skills. The game really slows down to him down for him at the catch point. But he also mirrors routes well. He he anticipates uh, he anticipates out of zone and route breaks in man. And you know I, 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 he's he's a little light. You know he's about 175 pounds, but he's six one. So you like to see him maybe bulk up a bit. And, and that you know, something that shows up when he's asked to play and press and get off blocks on the boundary. So you want to see him get a little bit better there. But if he bulks up, I certainly think that that's something he can show growth. But you know from from a corner with ball skills and can can win in a variety of techniques and. Uh, you know, I, I think that he's been pretty interesting, a guy that uh, has popped for me more so than some of the bigger names maybe that I've watched at this point. See, that's why I have you on, Joe, because I had no idea who Mark Gilbert from Duke is, but now I'm going to add him to my list. Uh, you were on the road often last year for uh, FanRag and NDT. Uh, any games you're looking looking to attend this year? Yeah, You know, I'm, I'm finalizing my, my list this year. Um, you know, I think the one that I'm, I'm really – South Carolina, Georgia. <laughs> right? I want to get to that oh, one. I think it's going to be a good yeah. early. We, we need early, you, Joe. Early we measure. need you. I know. I know. South Carolina's never lost with me in the house. I think I've been there four times in my life, and and they won every time, including that big win over Ole Miss. I don't know if you remember this, Javon Sneed. I do. And, and Ole I Miss. Do. I Thursday think night number game. Four so. Thursday night. Yeah, I was down there for that, and it was my first uh, SEC game, and and it was big. That upset was big. Was that Steve? That was Garcia? the uh, that was the first game they used Sandstorm in the stadium. That was I remember because that became a big deal after that. Okay. Well, there you go. So that my my tenure in uh, Columbia is very good. So I want to see that game. Uh, I mean, obviously Georgia's loaded, but I think it's going to be a great test for Jake Bentley. I love the receivers that that uh, you know that uh, South Carolina has, and DeAndre Baker is probably the best cornerback in the nation. So. Seeing him against Debo Samuel early in the year is going to be exciting, and uh, I just think it's going to be a very, very good football game. A lot of talented guys, and you know, it's going to be a good physical SEC game. So that's one that I'm certainly hoping to get to, and early in the season, going to be. Uh, I think my week one, I'm going to be West Virginia and Tennessee. Uh, that's actually here in Charlotte, and going to get to see you know Will Greer and Jeremy Pruitt in his first uh, game as the uh, the head coach of Tennessee. With see what kind of team he puts on the field. I know that talent. The talent's not there like it has been in the past for Tennessee, but, you know, you like to think they're going to play a more disciplined and winning style of football compared to what we saw with Butch Jones. So early in the season, that's kind of where my mind's at, and that's that's what I'm looking at early on. You know, Steve Spurrier uh, said one time he always loved playing Georgia early in the season because he knew they'd have three or four guys suspended. <laughs> that's good. Joe, uh, 
tell everybody where they can find your work. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Uh, you The best place, I, I do a lot of different things with podcasts and written content. So the best place to track it all is on Twitter, and you can follow me at the Joe Marino. At the Joe Marino on Twitter. He's at FanRag Sports, NDTScouting.com. And uh, you can download the Draft Dudes podcast on iTunes and other places, I'm sure. Uh, Joe, thanks for taking the time out uh, to do this today. Uh, always fun talking to you. I love seeing you down in Mobile, you and Kyle both, and the rest of the NDT crew. Can't wait to see you guys again in January. All right, Brian. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, good luck to those Gamecocks this year. I appreciate that, Joe. That was Joe Marino of NDC Scouting and FanRag Sports. Uh, big, big into the Bills Mafia there in the Buffalo Bills. Uh, we talked about that and uh, Josh Allen, and uh, we we got into some 2019 NFL draft uh, with with Joe there. Uh, he's he's doing a deep dive right now. If you follow him on Twitter at at the the Joe Marino. Um, he's been breaking down uh, some Clemson defensive line players like Cleveland Farrell and uh, some others. So uh, follow him there to get all that uh, great info. Joe's one of the best in the business, and uh, it was a pleasure having him on here today. Um, you can go back and listen to our other episodes where we've had uh, Pete Smith of uh, talking about the Browns. Last week we had Jake Arthur of Colts.com on to talk about everything about the Colts. We've had Joe Everett, Paul Gilmet, uh, Andy Miley of Dynasty Trade Calculator, and uh, DynastyBlitz.com to talk about fantasy. And we've we've talked about a little bit of everything. Uh, next week we uh, we're going to talk to Jeff Risden. He is the uh, he is the managing editor of Lions Wire and Browns Wire for the USA Today network of sites, and he was a former managing editor of Texans Wire. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, all of those teams. Uh, next week so uh, look forward to that we'll also uh, in a couple of weeks we've got Steve Shoup of uh, everybody's favorite uh, mock draft simulator fan speak so we've got those guys coming up over the next couple of weeks but I want to thank again uh, Joe Marino for taking the time out today it was a, a great episode and um, like I said you can follow him on Twitter at the Joe Marino and uh, find all of his work at ndtscouting.com and fanragsports.com and um, such as that. You can follow me on Twitter at Deep Fried Draft. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at The Cheapest Meal. And you can f- find everything that I have to do at, uh, at DeepFriedDraft.com. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, go to iTunes. Give us, a, give us a good review. Give us a rating. Tell everybody why you love listening to The Cheapest Meal podcast uh, talking about the NFL Draft. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you have a good rest of your weekend and a good next week. And uh, for all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day uh, coming up this week. Thanks, everybody. Until next time.